Straight Talk from Israel. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to News from the Torah. This is Leah Haroni. Today is the 28th day of the Hebrew month of Tammuz, July 27th, 2022. And this week we're reading the Torah portion of Mas'e. It's the last Torah portion in the book of Bamidbar, Numbers. And from here the Jewish people are about to enter the land of Israel. What is going to happen from here going forward is that Moses is going to give his final long 40-day speech to the Jewish people, and then he passes away, and then the Jews are going into Israel. So this week we're basically finishing and summing up the 40 years of wandering in the desert. And in this week's Torah portion called the Masai'eh, or trips. The Torah goes through the 42 trips, 32 journeys made by the Jewish people in the desert. And we would like to discuss what those 42 journeys mean for us. What is the summation? What is the summary? Where is the story of traveling through the um, desert that we've been reading about for the past several months. Where is this relevant to us? And as the Jewish people are dividing the land of Israel ahead of the conquest, we're going to talk about conquering our own place in the world, making our own place, taking possession of our own part of this world in a way that we can make the best use of the potential that we're granted with. So, like I said, in this week's Torah portion, the Torah goes through the 42 journeys made by the Jewish people, from this place to this place, and from this place to this place, and the Torah says that all the journeys were made by the word of God. The Baal Shem Tov brings a beautiful teaching. He says that every single person, from the time they come into the world, from the time that they're born until their last breath, make 42 journeys. Each one of us, our lives are made out of 42 journeys. Just like the Jewish people, there were certain journeys that lasted only a few days, and then there were certain journeys that lasted for years. At certain stops, they would just put up the uh, tabernacle and then take it down the next morning and go on. And in certain places they stayed for quite a while, for decades. The same happens to us. Each one of us makes different journeys, the different houses we live in, the different places we study at or work at, the different friends we make and drift away from during our lives. Sometimes people we get married to and sometimes people that they get divorced from the people who live with us in the same family. We live with certain people when we were born with our parents, and then we leave that house and move in with roommates, or we get married, and then we have kids. So different 
times in our lives look differently. Sometimes we move from land to land, from city to city, from neighborhood to neighborhood. We all make 42 journeys throughout our lives. Some of these journeys are very, very short. A place you came in and that was very relevant, very full of value to you. For example, you can go to a class and here in one hour class, and that class can open you up to a whole world of possibilities, to a whole world of ideas. One conversation you have with somebody, and that person says one word, and that word gives you so much perspective. That's a journey, that class, that meeting, that encounter. That is one of 42 journeys you'll make in the world. And that one five-minute conversation can have huge impact on your life. And then you can spend ages, decades in a certain place, and you will have the same effect, the same value. You can spend 20 years at a job, and it will have the same meaning and value to you as that five-minute conversation. Or Maybe different, maybe it will have a lot of meaning. But what I'm saying is that every single journey, no matter how small or how large, how short, how long, is part of a life story. And together, these 42 journeys create your life story. We come into the world with all this potential, with all this journey in front of us and as we move from journey to journey from station to station from stop to stop we learn more we develop more we create our life story and at the end of the 42 journeys the Jewish people went into the land of Israel and each person at the end of their 42 journeys passes on to the eternal resting place, to the promised land of the souls. Now, as we said, God commanded the Jewish people to go from journey to journey, from place to place. And God can only command what is good. God also commands us or leads us from place to place in our personal lives. And because God leads us from place to place, these places can only be good. During our morning prayers, we say several blessings. And one of the blessings is that God leads the footsteps of men. What that means is that God leads all the footsteps that I will make today. All the places I will go, all the things I will do, all the people I will meet, those are predestined. The question is, what will I do with those encounters? How will I use these places? The, my steps are predetermined by God, but what I do at the places that I go to, that is given to me. And therefore, because all of the journeys were commanded by God, says the Baal Shem Tov, all of the journeys were good. They all had huge potential for self-discovery, for growth, for spiritual development. Every single journey was there because the Jewish people needed to make it. But now that they made the journeys, they also had choices of how to use those journeys, whether to use them for good 
or God forbid, use them for bad. And with their actions, they either uplifted the potential of that journey, of that place, or God forbid, they created a tragedy. As we talked about in previous weeks, God wanted to bring the Jews from Mount Sinai to the land of Israel in the matter of days. He wanted to create a shortcut and make them go into the land of Israel in just a matter of days. But because they were constantly whining, always unhappy, always unthankful, and in the end, because the Jews chose not to go to the land of Israel, they ended up spending many, many more years on those journeys. So those 42 journeys could have been made within nine days, but instead they took 40 years. And that was a clear outcome of the actions of the Jews. It is hard for us to accept that every journey has potential. It is hard for us to accept that every journey has something good in it. But I'd like to share a story that I read in the book by Dr. Edith Eva Egger, in which she shares her experience in the in Auschwitz. She was a Hungarian Jew who arrived in Auschwitz at the age of 16, together with her family. At the ramp, as they came down from the from the car and before they were separated, her mother told her, nobody can take out of what you put into your mind. Nobody can take away from you what you've chosen to think. And that was the parting will and testament of her mother. The words that she came, went on to carry with her for decades to come. Today, she is a 90 plus year old psychiatrist who treats people from all over the world and speaks to people all over the world. But there in Auschwitz, after she was separated from her parents, Edith asked somebody, where is my mother? How can I find my mother? And an all-time inmate pointed to the chimney of the crematory and said, you see that smoke? That's your mother going up in smoke. Just imagine the trauma for a 16-year-old girl to be separated from her parents and then to hear in such a cruel way that her parents are gone forever. That first night in Auschwitz, Mengele was looking for entertainment. Mengele, as most of you know, was the cruel doctor of Auschwitz, and he would create different experiments on the people, on the inmates in Auschwitz. So as he was looking for entertainment, he heard that there is a young woman who came to Auschwitz and she was a dancer. He came to the, uh, to the barrack, found the girl, and he told her that she's going to dance. A band was brought in and he told her to dance ballet because this is what she did back in Budapest. So once again, this young 16-year-old woman who just lost everything, she lost her parents, she lost everything, she remembered what her mother told her. Nobody can take away from you what you put into your head. So right there in the barrack, she imagined that she was a dancer at the biggest stage, the most famous theater in Budapest. And she danced for Mengele, was abandoned, was joy that she would have danced with if she had 
the stage of the biggest, most famous theater in Budapest. Mengele really enjoyed her dancing, and as a prize, he gave her a loaf of bread. Edith took that loaf and divided it between the different women in the barrack. That was her gift to them. A year later, towards the end of the war, the inmates of the barrack were sent on a death march, and the women who partook of Edith's loaf a year earlier remembered her kindness, and when she lost all of her faith and all of her ability and all of her will, they carried her on the death march. They supported her on the death march to make sure that she stayed alive and kept her alive. Now that little incident, that dance incident with Mengele, seems to us like the epitome of cruelty to force a 16-year-old who just came to Auschwitz, who just lost her parents. That incident seems to be the epitome of cruelty. But that for Edith, was one of the journeys. And as cruel and strange as it seems, Mengele, who was the torturer of the Jews, gave her a gift that a year later kept her alive because she chose to take that gift and continue the kindness and give it to other women. So, Obviously, this is a horrible story, and obviously, nobody wants to be in that situation. But even in the depth of despair, in the depth of cruelty, in the depth of evil, when people find good, they can uplift the potential of that situation, of that journey, and create good in it, and that good will meet them somewhere down the line, just like that loaf of bread that Edith divided between her mates to the barrack, met her a year later, and gave her friends the strength and the decision to support Edith on the death march. Ironically, that loaf of bread that Mengele gave her saved her a year later. So as we're saying, God sends all of us onto different journeys. We can't control the journeys, but we can control, we can empower ourselves, we can change what we do on those journeys. How do we find the inner potential of each journey, each stop, each place, each encounter, each conversation, each place we go to? Find that inner core. What am I doing here? and uplifted everywhere we go, every person we meet. Sometimes we find ourselves saying, what am I doing here? Why am I here? What's my purpose? What's the point? I'd rather not be here. I'd rather be somewhere else. I don't like it here. But if you're already there, if you're already in that situation, that means that that is one of your 42 predestined journeys. So instead of crying and blaming your bad luck and being upset and being in this place, you can ask, okay, I'm here. If I'm here, that means God wants me to be here. There is something I need to find here. There is something good for me to do here. What is that good? 
I would like to share a story of my great-grandfather's brother, Rabbi Yosef Niederman. Uncle Yosef, as we called him in the family, was born at the turn of the century, and when World War II started, he lived in a little Polish village called Sedlice, not far away from Lublin and not far away from the Russian border. One day he left home, and on his way he was caught by his friend and neighbor, a Polish baker, and the baker told him that the Nazis are rounding up the Jews and hid him in his house that was near the town square. From his hiding place, Uncle Yosef saw his family, his wife and children, being dragged into the town square and killed in front of his eyes. One of his sons survived. He grabbed this kid and made his way from Poland across Soviet border into the Soviet Union. But because he was a Polish Jew who crossed over from Poland, the Soviets took him, arrested him and his son, and sent him to Siberia for 10 years. In Siberia, unfortunately, the boy became sick and died. Uncle Yosef was able to go into the woods, find a wild horse, domesticated, and since he had a horse, he was able to work in the camp kitchen and take food from one place to the other in the huge Siberian camp where he served time. This is how he stayed alive. After the war, he was released, but he couldn't go back to where his relatives lived. He couldn't go back to Poland, so he settled in the town of Penza, where he had some relatives. In Penza, he became involved with the local Jewish community. Just imagine a man who lost his whole life, who saw the Nazis, who survived a Stalin camp in Siberia, is now stuck in the middle of some place in the middle of Russia. He was far from his home. He was far from the people that he loved. But this was the place that he was now finding himself in. So he became involved with the Jewish community and took on a leadership role in the Jewish community. He found a job as a janitor in the local arts center. And whenever there was a Yiddish performance theater coming through town or there was a Yiddish concert because the Soviets allowed Yiddish culture, he would buy all the tickets for that performance and then go around all the Jewish families in town, selling them tickets individually and encouraging them to come to this Yiddish performance. Now, everybody in town was sure that this was this man's way of making money, but really what he cared about was making sure that each Jewish family in town has a connection to its Jewishness. And with Judaism being forbidden by the Soviets, with religion being outlawed, with no ability to bring people to the synagogue or to teach him Torah, the only way he could think of to remind every Jew in the town of Penza that he is a Jew was to make sure that that person came to a Jewish performance, to hear a Jewish choir, to hear Jewish singing. He was only concerned with making sure 
that every Jew stays a Jew. He had a huge book in which he would note the yard sites, the dates of passing of all the people in town. And on the date of passing, there is a there is a custom that the family of the deceased person comes to the synagogue to recite Kaddish, to recite a mourner's prayer. So every day he would walk around town, knock on people's doors, and remind them that tomorrow is the yard site, the date of passing of their father, their mother, their grandfather. Please come to the synagogue to recite the mourner's prayer, the Kaddish, for your family member. That was another way he was making sure that he can help every Jew stay Jewish. During 1980s, he made connection with his brother who lived in France. It's a long story how the other brother got to France, but after 50 plus years of disconnect, the two brothers made connection. And the brother from France invited Uncle Yosef to visit him in France. After a lot of effort, um, Uncle Yosef obtained permission from the Soviet authorities to go to France, and he did visit his brother for some time. When he was asked what did he enjoy most in France, his answer was, what I enjoyed most in France was the ability to go and pray in the synagogue with a minyan, with a quorum, three times a day. So you see, for Uncle Journey, France was another of his 42 journeys in life. And what did he make use of on this journey? How did he make the most of it? It wasn't by going shopping, because yes, France had everything that Russia didn't have. It was by using this time to pray to God with other Jews in a synagogue three times a day, something that he did not have back in Penza, back in the Soviet Union. He was already an old man, and his brother said, why should you go back to Russia? You have nothing there. Just stay here in France. You'll have a good life. You'll live with me, and you can practice your Judaism freely any way you want. You don't have to go back to Russia. But Uncle Yosef said, no, I really have to go back to Russia. I am needed there much more than I'm needed here. Russia was a prison. Russia took away Uncle Yosef's ability to worship, to be a Jew, to practice his Judaism fully. There was no minyan in the synagogue. It was very hard to keep Shabbat. There was very little kosher food. It was horrible for Uncle Yosef's spiritual development and ability, but he understood that he was needed there because he was the last thread that so many Jewish people, so many Jewish families had to their Judaism. And so he gave up what was the right thing for him to make sure to continue the journey that God assigned him to, to play his part, to do his mission in the world. On his trip to France, Uncle Yosef wanted to visit Israel. He thought that maybe he can travel from France to Israel, then come back and then go back to Russia. There was just one problem. He could not have any stamps from the Israeli authorities showing that he came into Israel in his passport, and he certainly could not have any stamps from the French showing that he left France at any point. Russians would have found that in his passport, and that would be the end of him. 
So Uncle Yosef went to the Israeli consulate in Paris and asked to travel to Israel without having his passport stamped. And the Israelis agreed because it was Uncle Yosef's wish and lifetime dream to go to Israel. So the Israelis agreed. But the French never agreed to let him out of the country and then in back without stamping his passport. So that was the end of his dream. By going back to Russia, not only did Uncle Yosef give up on his spiritual yearnings, he also gave up on his life dream to travel to Israel. But he understood that God gives each one of us a journey, a mission, potential to do things that are good for the people around us, for our community, for our families. We have a journey, and the journey has a mission, and that mission has an end point. We're going towards something. We're not just drifting in this world. And Uncle Yosef understood that his journey, his mission, is to be the tether that kept the Jews of Penza connected to their Judaism. And so he gave up on everything that he wanted to do what God wanted, which is really the essence of our life mission. As we're about to finish the story of the Jewish travel through the wilderness, and as the Jews are about to enter the land of Israel, God tells the Jews how they're going to divide the land. There's a huge ceremony with all the Jewish people gathered together, and each head of a tribe writes the name of a tribe, of his tribe, on a piece of paper. And those pieces of paper are put into a box. Next is another box, and on each piece of paper is written a part of the land of Israel. And now they're going to draw lots. Each head of a tribe of the Jewish people is going to draw the lot and find out where his tribe is going to live. So this lottery is called in Hebrew, Goral. And Goral also means destiny. Now, as each head of the tribe would come up and pick, before he would take his name, the name of his tribe, and the name of the law that he would get, the high priest, Elazar, would tell him, based on the breastplate, what that part of the land of Israel was going to be. And then he would draw the name of his tribe, and the draw a lot was the name of the part of the land of Israel, and it would match what Elazar said ahead of time. And the boxes themselves, the lottery setup, would scream, this tribe gets this portion of the land of Israel. And basically, every tribe had three indications what was its portion in the land of Israel. So there could be no um, upset. There could be no, nobody could say that something is unfair. Every tribe had three indications from God himself about what was its lot in the land of Israel. This is so true about our own destiny. 
that Tanya says that every person comes into the world with his or her portion of the physical world. You come and you abort at a certain time, in a certain place, in a certain family, to certain parents and siblings and uncles and uncles, and you have absolutely no control over that. And you grow up in a certain time in history, in a specific socioeconomic environment, and once again, none of that is under your control. You have a certain physical appearance, you have certain predispositions of your character, of your health, you have intellectual and emotional capacities that are a given. Your IQ is a given. It can be developed, but it's basically a given. You don't have any control over which school you go to, how good your teachers are. And basically, most of the things that go into the fundamental parts of your development up to age of 16, 17, 18 are not under your control. And by that time, this is it. This is who you are. Today, neurologists say that even our happiness point is sort of fixed. We have a default happiness point, and while we can work to raise it or do things to lower it, there's basically a tendency that we have. So we all have a certain portion of the physical world. This is our goral. This is our destiny. But Rabbi Soloveitchik says that there are two ways of living your life. There is living your life with the life of goral, with the life of an awareness of destiny. This is who I am. This is my lot in life. There's nothing to do about it. It's all predetermined. And I'm an object. I'm a victim of circumstances. But then there's another way to live. And that's living with the with the eye towards the oud, your mission. What are you destined to do? What are you destined to create? And by living with this awareness of destiny in terms of destination, that I'm traveling somewhere, with that awareness, you can take your goral, you can take what's given to you and turn it into something beautiful because you understand that wherever your lot in life is, you are in charge of your destiny through your actions. So just like the Jewish people, each one got its lot. Each tribe had its own lot, its own portion of the land of Israel. In the end, some portions are hilly, and some portions are sandy, and some portions have amazing land, and they're all different, but they're all equal in their potential, in their worth, in their value. This is something the Torah tells us. All of the portions in the land of Israel were equal in their value. And all of the portions that we get in the world, whether we're born smart or less smart, rich or less rich, well-off or less well-off, whatever the portion that we get in this physical world, all the portions are equal because they all have an equal ability. They all give us this equal potential to do our best in life and to come towards God through this 42 travels. So, so as we are about to finish this episode and as I'm about to sign off, I would like to th- you to think, what is your goral? 
what is your lot? What are the things that you're getting in life? And how can you turn it into a life of yud, of destiny? You know, the things that you pay attention to are the things that take up most of your awareness. If you pay attention to everything that is wrong with your life, to everything that doesn't work, to all the people that you don't like, to all the things that you don't want, your life can be a life of misery because it's all about the nose. If you put your attention to everything that other people have, then once again, it all becomes about what does the other guy have and how fair or unfair life is. But if you put your attention to everything that you do have, to the beautiful lot that God gave you in this world, and every single person got a beautiful lot, just like every single person who went into the land of Israel got an inheritance, got a lot, whatever that lot is, by putting our attention to what we do have, what is given to us, we can get the most out of it and create a beautiful life story from the lot that God has given us. That at the end of our 42 journeys, we will look back and say, wow, I was so fortunate to live such a beautiful life. Yes, there were many things that were hard on that journey. There were many difficult stops, but I've made the most of all of them. The short ones and the long ones, the hard ones and the easy ones, the sweet ones and the maybe bitter ones, I've made the most out of all of them. It was a beautiful journey, and I really hope that at the end of 120 years, as we we'll look back at our life, we will all say, what a beautiful journey, and how happy and thankful I am to have reached my destiny, my destination that I have carried out the mission that God brought me to do in this world. So I would like you to think what that would be for you. What is the destination that you would like to arrive at? Where would you want your 42 journeys to lead you? What is the destiny that you can create out of your lot? What is the yud you can create out of your goral? Think about it. Maybe write it down. and. Certainly, we're nearing the next Jewish year where, once again, we're going through a cycle of creation. What is your destination? What is your destiny? Where are your 42 journeys leading you? Some food for thought. It was a pleasure and a privilege to be with you for news from the Torah this week. And next week, we will start the book of Devarim, the book of Deuteronomy. So until then, I'm signing off. This was Leah Aroni with news from the Torah. Bye-bye now. can you get the inside news on Israel? At Israel News Talk Radio, we're dedicated to sharing Israel's inside story with the world by providing our listeners with news on Israeli politics, current affairs, and Israeli Jewish culture. 
The Israel News Talk Radio homepage also provides you, the listener, with useful information at your fingertips with scrolling news headlines, weather, currency exchange, Shabbat candle lighting times, and so much more. Our radio programming is always accessible and on demand. We operate absolutely free of charge for everyone, everywhere. If you love what we do, partner with us now by becoming an Israel News Talk Radio supporter. With your support, you'll be inscribed on our Israel News Talk Radio Wall of Fame. There's nothing like us in the world. Be part of something great. Israel News Talk Radio. Straight talk from Israel. Howdy, this is Rita from League City, Texas, now living in Israel. And though my heart may have belonged to Texas, it now belongs to Israel and all the fantastic show hosts at Israel News Talk Radio. Hi, this is Michael Solomon from Kiryat Arba, Israel. And why do I love listening to Israel News Talk Radio? Because I love listening to the interesting interviews they do and their news reporting that most other media sources don't cover. Hey, this is Nicole Eko from Malmo, Sweden. It gets pretty cold here in Sweden, so I love cuddling up with a warm cup of tea while I listen to Israel News Talk Radio. Hey, everybody, this is Frank Morris from Tennessee. Me and my dog Buster really love listening to Israel News Talk Radio. <laughs> You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. News, opinion, and more. You're listening to Israel News Talk Radio. 